This is the Balancing Act by Security Compass, your guide to going fast while staying safe in today's digital world. Hello, everybody, and welcome today to our podcast. We have with us today as our guest, Kay from TrustArc. Kay, welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a real treat to have you. I think people would be interested to know a little bit about kind of how you ended up in your current role. So can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, how you ended up at TrustArc? Oh, happy to do so. Thank you. So I think most of the uh, what you would consider veterans in privacy never came at this directly. So I was a registered nurse before I became an attorney. And a lot of people say they're very surprised. You know, how do you go from nursing to being an attorney? Well, frankly, privacy is a helping field. We protect companies, but we protect them by protecting individuals. And so to me, it's still a helping profession, which is really unusual. But in a law school, of course, I didn't aim towards privacy. There, there wasn't an aim towards privacy at the time. But when I graduated and I started working in the corporate world, I gravitated naturally towards healthcare. And so I still focus on healthcare and technology. Those are my two loves, uh, health, health startup tech. And, uh, but yet global privacy is just such a huge concern. And so I worked at healthcare companies. I worked at medical device companies and eventually got into TrustArc, which was the dream job uh, to me because TrustArc is the oldest privacy company. Most people know us by the little green E on the website that says Trust E. That's one of our brands. And uh, we're the oldest, to me, we're the only serious privacy company. And that's a plug for my own podcast, Serious Privacy. But we're the only serious privacy company for me. We have the expertise to back up the intelligence in our privacy compliance software. And uh, that's what I love doing. And being associate general counsel and data protection officer for TrustArc, what I really find fascinating is that unlike most in-house counsel, we're actually the business owner of the product. Since our product is privacy compliance based on law, we're actually heavily, heavily involved in the actual development of the product, not just consulted, for as in-house counsel would be. So it's fascinating and I absolutely love it. Wonderful, that's excellent. You know, Kay, we often hear about software development in terms of speed and security. And this is coming to the forefront as we consider DevSecOps, for example. Oh yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the intersection between privacy and software development? Oh, yes. So when you hear about software development, you have your secure software development life cycle. Privacy should be in there from the beginning, just as security should be. And a lot of people, it's interesting how they'll build. And I explain this to a lot of IT and other departments. And you can't see me on the visual. So I'll do my best to describe this is They'll bring you this thing that they've coded and built and they'll say, oh, look at this $2 million product we just developed. And yes, Kay, we know you care about privacy. So we put, you know, the six foot high fences with barbed wire at the top around them. And I have to explain one, that security, not privacy. But two, oops, you built your product sitting across on someone else's property. And so that's not privacy or security by design. What you should do is come to me in the beginning and say, hey, Kay, I've got 
these scratched out plans of a thing I want to build. It's going to cost about $2 million. Can you take a look at it and tell me? And I'll look at it and I'll go, oh, wait a minute. You're trying to build this on someone else's land. Give me about two weeks and it'll cost you about an extra 10000 for a very small drop of the overall project cost. Let me go get the right permits and everything so you can build this. And just like building a house, we want to be the city inspector. We want to come in when you've laid the foundation, make sure it's right. We want to make sure you did the electrical wiring, the plumbing, everything right. When the roof is done, that it's right. We want to check all around the end. And then at the end, yes, please still put on those six foot razor wire fences around it as well. But it should be baked in throughout the process. And people don't understand that the slightest change can have a huge impact. And I can give you a perfect example. One product I was working on being built, they wanted the people to be able to share out to Facebook. So we worked out a way for inside the product, could people share a photo or a comment out to Facebook publicly? Well, they took that one step further and permitted Facebook single sign-on. And I'm like, no, we, we never discussed Facebook single sign-on. That's not going to be allowed. Have you looked at the developer you know, content for Facebook single sign-on? No. Uh, if they had proposed it to me earlier and we'd looked at it, maybe it could have been a thing. But they thought since I had approved Facebook sharing that this would be fine. So the least little change in scope or designation or creep can absolutely change and have big impacts on both privacy and security. Mm, interesting. You know, speaking of the changes that are taking place, we, uh, you know, started out uh, historically talking about privacy in terms of the, the attributes of a person or, or things that are directly attached to an individual. But we're hearing even these days, it, it turns out to be that there are privacy implications around functionality, like how a user uses a system in particular, for example. And, and this starts to go down the path of how much tracking you know, can we do and, and are there ethical considerations around this? Can you talk from your perspective, what you're seeing in terms of not just what, what are the attributes of an individual, but as they interact with the system, are there privacy implications that might identify an individual based on how they use that system? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is cookies and trackers. I mean, which is a huge topic right now in our field is tracking people's online behavior, delivering targeted behavioral advertising, different things like this, Colorado's new law that they just rolled out. They want to have a universal opt-out kind of process with it. California's already doing it. The definition of selling of data being for money or other valuable consideration. Now California has added in sharing uh, to make sure that people realize that they absolutely do mean cookies and online trackers, tracking people from one website to another. And then there's analytics that whether you're behind a firewall or not, there are analytics that can be built into the program that shows where do people click? Where do they go? Where do their eyes look? Uh, you start going into such things as proctoring exams or the software that can monitor when people are on webinars or students are in online classes, are they looking at the screen? Are they paying attention? Um, and so there's lots of different ways of how you can track what an individual is doing 
in the system, whether it's first party or third party, whether it's direct, whether it's indirect, whether that data is captured from implicit or, or excuse me, whether that data is captured from explicit things they're doing or whether we're making implicit assumptions about what they're doing or where they're going or what they're thinking. And the fact that companies can take this incredibly, incredibly huge amount of data that may not be tied to an individual the way you think of it and combine it together to make a profile of someone is huge. I mean, profiling is also one of the biggest issues, but what if something they collected online technically wasn't you? What if it was someone else? But yet now it's tied to your profile. That might have permanent consequences on you because uh, a credit bureau might be using that profile data that's been collected from hundreds of companies and data brokers and pulled together and they think you're someone you're not just because of activity you've taken within systems online. Interesting. So let's assume for a moment, Kate, that we have an executive and this executive wants to build a privacy practice in their organization. They, oh my gosh, please introduce me to that executive. I would love to talk to them because I don't hardly know of any executives that would like to build a privacy program. <laughs> so clearly this is going to, to require cross-functional teams coming yes. together, right? And, and, and now, you know, when we, when we talk about software development, right, what are some of these competencies that are required we we have right. some of this when it comes to security you know you need to think about operational security and you've got to think about software development you need to get your requirements in place let's talk about the key competencies when it comes to producing privacy compliant software right. because i think there's a gap in there can you talk about some there's a huge gap in there and as a matter of fact I was contacted by someone and asked if I knew of a guide for ethical development of applications. Mm -hmm. And it, it just finished a webinar talking about healthcare. And so clearly it was privacy ethical applications. And I posted on LinkedIn to see if anyone knew of a written guidance because I didn't. And let's ignore the 5,000 new friends I gained that are app developers. Uh, me and two colleagues decided we're going to bring together the resources we have and put together an actual guide on ethical development, which includes privacy. This is what you think of when you think of ethics is privacy, especially in AI. So what are the competencies that you need? One, you need someone that understands privacy. You don't need to be a lawyer to understand privacy, but unfortunately it is trending that direction merely because of the complexity of the laws that are coming out. There aren't security laws, hardly, that you need to abide by. If you're going to get in trouble, it's going to be because you violated a privacy law. So you need someone who understands the law. Then you need someone who can break that down and speak to one, executives about it from a business strategy perspective, but two, can speak to a layperson or an engineer about it on their level as well. So can you speak to an engineer about what do you need to build into the code? What do you need to be conscious of in avoiding bias or collecting more information or redacting information or hashing information or sharing it 
or building it into a database that then later you can't delete the data based on an individual rights request. So you need someone that has both that strategic mindset as well as the people that have those operational mindsets. And so the competencies are going to be, you don't need a technologist and you don't need a lawyer, but you need someone who can understand the law and you need someone who can understand the technology. So those are the competencies. And then people say, but, but what is it in coding, in building an application that I need to be aware of? Well, one, the data. How are you tying the data together? And can't you put them in related databases as opposed to one whole database? How would you come about and delete data later? How would you amend data later? Can you track the logging? Can you track view only ability? Um, and yes, viewing only is very important, especially when it comes to sensitive data. They need to recognize what is personal data. IP address is personal data. That, that's been shown everywhere. IP address is personal data. Is it personal data in your company? Well, do you collect IP address anywhere else? Do you collect anything else with this person with their IP address that you would be able to take those other attributes with the IP address and tie it to a piece of information you have with their name? Are there any ways you're making connections in this data that would then prohibit you from de-identifying this data? Can you delete this data later? That's the biggest thing that comes out because it's going to break the database. So those are all the things that the builders need to think about is what is personal data and what can be collected. I remember very, very early on telling a, a software developer that we can't track people with cookies. That's prohibited. He went, oh, great. I'll track them with the something, something, something very technology wise, which essentially amounts to a device fingerprint. All their configuration settings on their devices. That's what we'll track them by instead. You don't get it. When we say cookies, we mean any tracking ability, anything that would be able to track someone in a program or online or in a system in front of a firewall or behind it. Uh, so yeah, however creative developers can be, the outcome is what is still important to privacy. Is that person being tracked? Can you tell who that person is? And even in um, my company, I have people that say, we don't know who this person is. We have no personal information. You have IP address. That's personal information. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, speaking in terms of the intersection with developers, as, as you were just talking about this, Kay, um, you know, many organizations are on this journey with DevOps with this mindset of uh, uh, promoting agility within the organization and digital delivery and rapid incremental life cycles, you know, and, and this type of a mindset implies a high degree of automation mm -hmm. across the software de development and, and these, these sort of delivery pipelines. Now, when it comes to privacy, can we automate aspects of privacy checking? Or yes. Is it manual? Like, can you talk a little bit about that and this need for legal interpretation? How does all that work? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can automate some aspects of it. You've got to be very careful of what you think of as automation. I keep hearing people say, we can automate your data inventory. So we can have crawlers that go out into all your systems and collect what your data does. And then you can automatically delete data. 
Um, no. You need some thought behind that. Maybe you can automatically identify the data that's being requested to being deleted, but there needs to be some thought behind whether or not you actually press the red button that says delete. Uh, so you can automate a lot of things in privacy, but you still have to put it in context. And I guess data inventory is a good way of explaining what this means. You can have the technology automation process of data inventory, but that will never tell you the context in which it's used. You need the person who works with the business or the process, the system, whoever, to tell you why they have that data, in what ways they use it. Technology automation will never give you that business context and the flow and the narrative around it, which, so you need both to make privacy successful. You need the context and you need the technology. And so you can automate a lot of it, but what people really, really don't understand is privacy is changing day to day. Just because I told you something yesterday and you did it and I come back next week and tell you something else, don't get mad at me, get mad at the regulators mm -hmm. who said you have to do this. My job is simply to read the law and to tell you this is what it means. Oh, they didn't change the words of the law, but we had a court case that said this is what it means. So now we have to go change it. And so you have to be able to be flexible. So in the way that developers can develop their processes, their code, their systems, their product, their whatever it is they're developing, any way that you can build in flexibility and configurability is the best way to go because it's going to change. Mm, interesting. Something I, is going to change. Yeah, as we also see, you know, regionally and even, you know, by country, um, we're starting to see a lot of these um, privacy regulatory frameworks beginning to emerge. We've got stuff in Europe. We've got, you know, each state in the United States. We've got things out in China. We've got things like there are so many of these things. Yes. And, uh, and it's different depending on where you go. Like, you know, right. there are, there's some overlap, but depending on where you go, they may allow, you know, they may be most, more strict or less strict. And yes, yeah. yep, from, a, from a development standpoint, we need to be able to accommodate all of these if the information is going to be traveling through these regions. Absolutely. And, so, you know, and yeah. that brings up two points that are really, really important is one, think about it from a technology perspective. Can you seriously manage 60, 70 different implementations of the same application? Or is it better to maintain one application and try to accommodate all, just roll out whatever it is in the application that can apply to everyone, even if that country uh, doesn't permit it? And what I'm saying is uh, the ability to delete information. Okay, maybe 70 countries that you're using don't have the right to delete information. But why would you roll out two different systems, one that permits you to delete it and one that doesn't permit you? Why not just give the capability across one system and that way you're, you don't have to think about, oh, wait, I'm in this country, I have to do these five things. Oh, wait, I'm in this country, I have to do two other things. I mean, how can you possibly manage the implementation of 70 different systems? You want one system with 70 different ways of configurability. So, um where do you see the intersection of privacy and software development headed now? I mean, it, it's not realistic to project out five years, but say 12 months, 
What do you think? Oh, that's awesome. So you're starting to see privacy engineering becoming uh, a big word out there. So they're hiring for privacy engineers. Does this mean privacy people who understand technology or does this mean engineers who have been trained in privacy? It could be both. It could absolutely be both. What it means is understanding how you manage personal data. So people need to quit thinking of the word privacy as a very scary compliance word. Think of it literally as this is how my company manages personal data. And yeah, your CFO may say they're not scared of a fine. I think this big fine that Amazon got, I think I saw a statistic that they make that amount of money in one minute. So huge fine. So maybe the CFO is like, yeah, I don't care about the fine. It's never going to be enough to really you know, hurt us. Uh, what if you can't do business in that country? Would that hurt you? And the second thing I was going to think of earlier is cross-border transfers. People think cross-border transfers literally means you have that data somewhere else. No, it means access. So if you have a data center in the EU and you're accessing it from Brazil, that's a cross-border transfer. Even if you don't download the data, even if you don't manipulate the data, the the mere fact that you can access it makes it a cross-border transfer. And that's something a lot of technologists also don't understand is you're pretty much going to have cross-border transfers in just about everything you build because we're such a global globe now, period. That's it. We're globalized. Uh, So there's going to be cross-border transfers. Build for that. Build for the flexibility. Build for the changes. Um, Engineers need to start learning what privacy means. They need to learn what personal data means. They need to consider the privacy people as their friends, as their assistants in development, Um, as a core part of the team. And privacy needs to understand that it's not just the executives they work with and it's not just the product owners they work with. They need to work with the engineers who are actually doing the work on the application because those are the people that you need to make sure that y'all are on the same page, same sentence, and you're speaking the same language, which is not easy. Mm -hmm. So what do I see in the next 12 months, 18 months? I see a lot of cross-population of knowledge. Hmm. that's That's what i see and i keep a cissp for dummies book on my desk (laughs) Kay, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today thank you very much (laughs) i hope that we'll have the opportunity to chat again in the future i do too thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure Want to learn about what Security Compass has to offer check out securitycompass.com slash demo for a free demo today Want more of The Balancing Act? Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts for more episodes.